want to ask you to open a Bible with me to page 1036. If you're a follower of Christ, a member of the church, then, then hopefully you have a Bible of your own to read from. But if you're new to the Christian faith or you're new here to faith church, then, then use the Bible that's right there in front of you. You can find the passage I'm going to read on page 1036. We're turning to the Gospel of Luke, jumping in to hear a story from Jesus. Because we all bring questions about life, questions about faith, and what we want to do is turn in the Bible to help find answers. And our question this morning, how could a loving God send someone to hell? How can God be loving if people are condemned to hell? So we're going to turn to Luke 16. I'm going to begin reading at verse 19 of this passage, where Jesus tells a parable, a an imagined story where he wants us to to picture the scene, to see both the horror, the torment of hell, but in so doing also see the offer of grace and forgiveness. So listen as I read. This is Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him. Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, there is between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Let me pray that God would apply his word into our lives this morning. Father, we hear the teaching of Jesus and we understand it. The story is simple and yet we struggle to believe it. And so I pray that this morning you would give us faith to believe, to trust in you, to follow after you. Lord, for those that have gathered with us this morning with these questions, questions, though, that perhaps keep them from coming to you in faith, Lord, I pray that that as they listen to your word, they would find it to be true, that they would hear the warning that you offer today and turn in faith to Jesus. Lord, for those of us that are Christians, I pray that the, the weight of your word, the 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 conviction of sin would be upon us so that we would turn from sin and find our hope in Jesus, our Savior. Father, we come because he is the one who gave himself for us. We pray in his name. 
the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. A speeder in Nebraska apparently didn't get the hint when she was ticketed for doing 92 miles an hour. Now, it was a 75-mile-an-hour zone. That's how a news story from last year began. A Lincoln County Sheriff's deputy pulled over a woman driving her brand-new, bright-yellow Ford Mustang at 1 in the morning. They wrote out the citation and let her go. The news report continues, And boy, did she go. She accelerated away from the traffic stop to 142 miles an hour when she was clocked by radar. The deputies jump in their cars and begin the chase. This time, when they finally pull her over, she gets more than a ticket. She's arrested for willful, reckless driving. The first ticket should have been a warning. But sometimes, we're good at ignoring warnings. Now, maybe you chuckle at such obvious stupidity at at pushing your car to 142 miles an hour. Or maybe some of you say, my car can't even go 142 miles an hour if you dropped it straight down a hill. I, I don't think I could get a ticket at that speed. But you've ignored warnings in other areas of life. You've blasted through the radar gun when you've found yourself back in the same sins you promised yourself. I won't do that again. You've ignored the warnings of friends and family who have pointed out to you the the, the failure, the danger of the decisions you're making, and yet you just blow straight through. And so this parable from Jesus serves as a warning to us today. But will we listen? Or will you merely accelerate away from here doing the same things again? Now, the story is a fairly simple story. We see Jesus set a contrast here in verses 19 and 20 between a rich man and a poor man. Now, surprisingly, in this story, we actually learn the name of a character. In most of Jesus' parables, he doesn't take time to, to give us names. He just says, imagine a man, a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. We don't, we don't learn the names of the characters in the story, but, but here we have a rich man, and then the poor man is named Lazarus. The rich man, we're told in verse 19, dressed in purple, expensive and hard to come by in the ancient world. The the picture of extravagant wealth, dressed in fine linen, he lived in luxury every day. And then the contrast is obvious. Look at verse 20. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. He's moved and put there. Other people have to to dump him at this spot. Lazarus is covered with sores, and and verse 21 says, and he longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Just the table scraps that are going to be thrown away anyway, that would be enough to sustain him. It's so bad that his open wounds, the dogs come by to, to lick these festering wounds. And then Jesus quickly reverses the condition of these two men. They die, but their stories continue beyond death. Death is not the end. Your story will continue after you die. And so the situation is reversed. Verse 22 tells us, look there with me, that the angels carried the beggar. He is there at Abraham's side. 
Again, another character introduced to us, this time a historic character brought in to give, given a speaking role here in Jesus' story. Abraham, that, that man chosen by God way back nearly 2,000 years before the time Jesus was telling this story. Chosen by God from among the nations, not because he was so great. Yes, he did some great things for God, but he too received warnings from God. And then you would turn a chapter and he would just blow right through that speed trap doing the same stupid thing again. And so Abraham's appearance here is even a picture of God's grace, a reminder that God chose Abraham, and Abraham is here in heaven by God's loving grace. And so the beggar is there at Abraham's side. The contrast set for us for the rich man. Verse 23 says, in hell where he was in torment. Now maybe your translation that's in front of you, or, or my Bible even has a little footnote that says, in the Greek, the word for hell is Hades. But notice the descriptive language that Jesus uses to describe hell. In verses 23 and then and, and repeated in verse 28, it's a place of torment. In verses 24 and 25, it, the, the, the rich man describes his agony. Look at the end of verse 24. I am in agony in this fire. He begs, begs just for a drop of water from the, the tip of Lazarus's finger. Now there's an irony there. This man who whose social status was so far removed from Lazarus's that he didn't even notice him at his door. He ignored his, his pain and suffering, living in luxury while a man mere feet from him was in great suffering. Now, now in hell, he notices. Now in his desperation, he asks for help. But the horror that comes in Abraham's answer, showing that, that in his lifetime he had received all that he wanted. The rich man used his wealth for his own luxury. You have received all of the blessings that money can buy. Everything money has to offer, it was yours. The problem is the blessings of money end at death. And so now this man suffers torment. And in verse 26, Abraham, who really is speaking as if he is, he is He's, he has God's role in this story. He's speaking the truth from the lips of Jesus. Abraham, in verse 26, as a character, says, and besides all of this, besides the fact that you already had everything you thought you wanted, besides all of this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. There's no way to cross from me to you or from you to get yourself out of hell here into heaven. Because how every individual responds in this life determines where you will spend the next. Because God's judgment is permanent. You're an eternal creature made to live forever, made to live in a relationship with God, but, but through rebellion, people, in chasing after the things this world has, turn our backs on God and end up in the agony of the fires of hell. All right, but this is where we object. I mean, we're modern, sensible people. Shouldn't a loving God relieve the pain of sufferers? I mean, why would a loving God send people to hell? If he were loving, then you wouldn't have a story like this. And yes, this story is fictional, but it is meant to give us a picture of reality. And the images here of, of, that Jesus uses to describe hell are used in other parts of the Bible. Jesus is using a true image of hell 
to tell a story that we would understand. So we ask, why would a loving God send people to hell? Because we think, I know a lot of, you know, decent, good people that I don't think deserve to go to hell. I mean, and here, maybe you think you're making God to be, uh, be more generous than the Bible makes him. Because in, in, your, in your view of God then, he would let more people in. Everybody who, who gets into heaven, they would get there by their own goodness. They would sort of measure up, and we'd have some sort of standard, which is basically like a little better than average, and you'd get yourself into heaven. So because you think, I don't, wanna, I don't want people to be sent to hell just because of something they believe. I don't want people of other religious systems or even people that say, I'm not religious at all. I, you think, I don't want them in hell. I want, I want hell to be, I want the, the, the good news, I want heaven to be more inclusive than that. Because you think Christianity is too exclusive. When we say there's only one way to get to heaven, it's through faith in Christ. And that hell is a reality. You think that, that sounds like a failure. The problem is all of us are being exclusive. We're all putting some sort of measuring stick by which people would get themselves into heaven. Now, you might think, well, no, 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 I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to be so generous, I'm just going to let everybody in. Okay, well, just listen all the way through the end of the sermon, because I want to challenge you to that that's not really a loving or just response at all. But for those of us that, that are tempted to say, well, you know, what if we just let people earn their way in? If, if, if everybody who was sort of good enough, we would but then, you're excluding anybody that's a failure. You're excluding anybody that's broken. You're excluding those who have sinned. And so what would you then say to somebody who is a moral failure? So yes, I'm admitting Christianity is exclusive. But notice, notice how, how widely and joyfully generous Christianity is in that exclusivity. See, your way is let everyone measure up. Let them get themselves in. Well, then there's no hope for anyone that falls below your threshold. But don't you see what the gospel is saying? It, it doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what religious system you were born into. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. It doesn't matter how big your sins were in the past. You can be forgiven. The gospel offer of, of an eternity with God in heaven is extended to you through faith in Christ. And so, yes, both of these systems end up being exclusive. But one is joyfully inclusive. It doesn't matter where you grew up. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. You can be forgiven and embraced by God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so in the story that Jesus tells, we find the, the, the certainty and the severity of judgment. And so the rich man then in verse, verses 27 and 28 begins to beg for a warning to be extended to the rest of his family. Look at verse 27. Then I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And do you hear the horror? I mean, the reality of the doctrine of hell that we as Christians teach is that there are some people who need the warning that they are going to hell. Because the answer that Abraham gives is they have already received their warning. The answer that God speaks to us, look at verse 29. 
When the rich man pleads for someone to go and warn his brothers, Abraham replied, verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Now, he's not being callous here. What is he saying? You want, you want God to send a warning to people that there is a danger of hell. Well, beginning at the time of, of, of Adam and Eve, at the time of Abraham, at the time of Moses, God repeatedly, consistently, again and again, sent warnings. He sent the prophets. He then wrote it down so that we would have the warnings to be able to spread and to announce. He's saying, you've already heard the warning. And so if you're sitting here today, you have heard the warning from Jesus of the reality of hell, of the danger. They have Moses and the prophets. They have the written word of God. They have the announced word of God. And so he begs, verse 30, No, Father Abraham, but if, if someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. And it ends with this horror. When God speaks through Abraham in this story, through the lips of Jesus in verse 31, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. You have heard the warning today. Will you listen? Will you take this warning of the reality of hell, of the coming judgment, and say, I'm, I'm sorry. I was wrong. There, there is no way that I could have gotten myself into heaven. Because if the measuring stick is good people, then I know that I don't belong in that category. I'm among those who deserve to be punished. That's the response that the Bible is calling for. A response of repentance, turning away from sin, to follow Christ. A, a response of faith, instead of trusting in yourself or the things you've accumulated in this life, turning and putting your trust in Jesus alone. Will you hear the warning? But I want to ask that question of you as a Christian, even if you have put your faith in Christ, and you say, yes, I, I believe it. I, I, I announce what the young women in our church said today that I'm putting my trust in Jesus Christ alone. I, I stood before a church. I've been baptized. I'm a, a member. Will you heed the warning? Because yes, G, some of the, the people that are in Jesus's audience are those that do not yet believe, but many who listened to Jesus's teaching, many to whom this gospel was written were people that called themselves Christians. Because the warning here is a warning for us to live generously. Who is it that's condemned to hell? How is he described? He's a rich man. How did he spend his money? On himself. It's a warning against, uh, it's, it's a warning against those of us who have financial resources to use them for the good of others, to use our wealth sacrificially to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters around us. Now, culturally, that, that's a bit of a stretch. I mean, we'll, you know, give a little bit. I was, I was shopping this week, and... Um, on my, on my bill, they asked, would I, would I want to round up to the next dollar and donate to a cause that they had? Now, because they had sold me something that ended in 99 cents, they were asking for a whole penny from me. And yet I suspect that's how some of us view our giving at church. You know, I mean, it's, it's not going to hurt. It's not going to hurt. 
It's, it's just a little bit. But don't you see, how are you spending your money then? God isn't asking for pennies. He wants it all, because it's all his. Now, it doesn't mean you don't, you, don't, you don't meet your own needs or the needs of your family, but it means it's not your money if you're a Christian. It belongs to him, and so you have to use it to meet the needs of others. If there is a beggar at your gates, then you have to respond. Will you live generously? Earlier in the, in the chapter, back in, in, a, in a story that he told before, back in verse 13 of chapter 6, Jesus offered this warning. No one can serve, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Because if you serve money, where does it take you? Where? And where does the parable say, your wealth will take you? To hell. Now, it's a great ride getting there, but the destination is awful. My dad preached on this passage when I was 12. Now, lest you think my memory is that good, I don't remember it from when I was 12. He's He's been transposing some of his old cassette tapes into digital. And so just two weeks ago, he handed me this sermon and said, hey, listen to this. And he, he, in it, he tells the story of, of our family being out on the road on a Sunday morning, putting up a tent and hosting a worship service. Um, and we, we kind of had a little Sunday school class for, for families that came in. And a family came really late. And so my dad, I'm 12, just says, well, Kevin, you catch them up. So, like, you know, like, you just teach the whole lesson to this family. You share the whole gospel. And for me, I realized, like, what a great thing to be forced to do. Tell other people about Jesus. And so, parents, push your kids into those situations. Church members, put each other in those spots. Hey, would you share with my friend how you came to faith in Christ? Let's make the gospel part of what we share. But my dad, in, in, in preaching this sermon... He looked to our church, which, which admittedly was a little more hellfire and brimstone kind of church. And you, you get the language. Hellfire and brimstone is because we're using the words of Jesus to describe hell and the reality of hell. But even in my church, which was maybe a little more hellfire and brimstone than we tend to be as Presbyterians, he said to the congregation, do you really believe in the reality of hell? Have you, as a Christian, faced the horrors of hell? Because your friends and your neighbors and your loved ones are going to hell. See, the horror of this passage is that I have the message of hope to share now, it means, yes, I, I want you this week to be thinking of, even in those sort of random moments, when you just run into somebody, where is there an opportunity for the gospel to come up? And so when somebody asks you the question this week, hey, what'd you do this weekend? You can say, oh, I went to church and my pastor talked a lot about hell. All right, and see what kind of conversation that sparks. See what kind of reaction you get from that. Do we believe our, our loved ones are going to hell? Will we sound the warning? I mean, who is it, who is it that, that you know needs to hear this message? Somebody who sits across the office from you, you've had lunch with 
for years. A family member, maybe even somebody you haven't talked to in, in weeks. Who will you share the gospel with this week? Not just wait until you stumble into the conversation, but who will you call and say, I was reminded of the seriousness of, of what we believe. Can I share with you? I know, I know you've heard me say it before. I know you maybe don't even want to hear me say it, but, but could we get together? Could I share with you again why I think this matters? Who will you tell this week? See, this is, a, this is a parable that demands that we live generous lives. And so live generously with your money, but even more so, live generously with the gospel message. Hell proves that God loves us. Hell proves that God will respond to injustice. See, how can a loving God send people to hell? Because a loving God cannot overlook sin. I mean, think of the, the characters in this parable. A rich man who ignores the pain and suffering right at his doorstep in order to expend extravagantly on his own luxury. And you know what? In our culture, if you have enough money, you can generally get your way out of a lot of problems. And so we might think, well, he's going to get away with it again. And think of how, how you would respond if somebody you loved, somebody you cared about, was making a mess of his or her life through, through bad decisions, unwise choices, uh, broken relationships. You would want to intervene. You would want to do something. See, because the, the reaction that just says, forget it. I, I give up. I don't care. A reaction that lets injustice continue. I mean, think of not just, not just when, when people make make broken messes of their own lives, but think of the times that, that someone you love has been sinned against and harmed. The loving response then isn't to say, hey, no big deal. No, when you see injustice, the loving response is the wrath, the righteous anger of God. That's what hell shows us. God will not tolerate sin. You may buy your way out of it in this life, but you will be held to account on the day of judgment. God is not ignoring your pain and your suffering. Hell proves that God loves us. See, how could a loving God send people to hell? Because a loving God sees pain and suffering and responds. And remember that the storyteller, Jesus, didn't come to just sort of straighten us out and kind of point us in the direction of heaven. He didn't come to sort of pick us up and dust us off and say, all right, on with it, on with it now. No, where does the Gospel of Luke take him? Takes him to the garden. On the night of his arrest and betrayal, you and I know that it's coming, but as we, as we turn just a couple of chapters to chapter 22, we find Jesus with his disciples praying. And in Luke 22, verse 41, we're told that Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond his disciples. He knelt down and he prayed. This is Luke 22, now verse 42. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. He's looking at the wrath of God, the, the, the image of God's wrath in a cup, ready to be poured out and devour sinners. 
in God's perfect holiness. And Jesus says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then notice the despair, the the suffering, the anguish of Jesus. Look at verse 43 of chapter 22. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. The Jesus who tells us the story of hell is the one who willingly takes the wrath of God upon himself. So that when Jesus is on the cross in chapter 23, chapter 23, verse 32, we read of his crucifixion. Verse 32 of chapter 23, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. The Savior crucified with criminals, executed for your sin and mine. And so if if you think you're good enough to get yourself into heaven, look at the horror of what your sin causes. If you think you are righteous, there is only one who is righteous. And throw yourself on him. Jesus, the Savior, died in the place of sinners so that in verse 34 he could say, Father, forgive them. The one who tells us this story of hell offers us the escape, offers us rescue. He offers us forgiveness. Now, Jesus ends with a little bit of irony at the end of his story. When speaking through the voice of Abraham, the rich man is told, if, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. And yet remember, the one who speaks this story the one who points out the danger of continuing to reject God is the one who has been raised from the dead, the one who stands and announces to you these words of gospel forgiveness. See, how can you be convinced of the love of God? How can you see hell as the right punishment that we deserve? You look to Jesus at the cross. You find your hope in his resurrection from the dead. We have heard the warning of Jesus. We have a Savior who died in our place. We have a risen Savior who offers you the gift of salvation. Will you believe in him? Let me pray for us this morning. Father, I ask that your word would be pressed into our lives. Lord, for those who sit here uncomfortable, Lord, I pray that 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 discomfort would, would force us to turn and confront our sin. Lord, for those that have have not found their hope in Jesus, have not found forgiveness in Him, I pray that even now as this service concludes, they would turn and throw themselves upon Jesus, putting their trust fully in Him. Father, for those of us that, that are Christians, Lord, let us not walk away from this sermon comfortable. Let the reality of hell, the warning of hell, drive us 
to generous living, to generously share the good news, the message that Jesus forgives our sins. For we didn't make our way into heaven on our own record. We've gotten there because of the record, the righteousness, the goodness of Jesus. And so, Lord, let us rejoice in sharing this message with excitement, with boldness. Lord, force us into situations this week where we can't help but speak the name of Jesus. Lord, let us in boldness announce gospel hope. We come praying in Jesus' name. Amen.